It's time for the Tri-County Equipment Get Stuck on Sports Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dennis Stuckey and Brady Beaton. So Brady says, let's go. So I hit record, and then he starts talking about episodes of uh, South Park on me. Yeah, no. So that just means I have to edit more. (laughs) Anyway, it is summertime. And by the time you hear this, I will be off on vacation. So you get a um, vacation. You can have a vacation. I don't think so. No rest for the wicked. Anyway, we I will be out on vacation. So we're recording this one a little early, and we're bringing back what seemed to be a fan favorite last year when I was gone on vacation: Dennis Stuckey minor league hockey stories. I don't remember this being so popular a show, but you keep telling me that it is. I have had multiple people ask about it and want it back so it might not have done a huge number but the the numbers it did do loved it okay so you you do have a lot of stories that span a long time and we are trying yeah, to I wrap get it. your I'm brain old. yeah you are <laughs> but you have some good stories all right well let's uh take a take the the first break and uh, and then we'll we'll get into it. Um, I apologize if I repeat anything. Well, we have some new audience, so if you do repeat it, it's th- not everyone was here last year. So, yeah, the, the, some of them are worth repeating. Okay, uh, and and we'll try to do some uh, new stuff, and, and maybe uh, you can learn a few things uh, not only about me but also about Brady, because uh, at least my very first story. Uh, in, involves Brady inadvertently. Okay. Now it's I'm about your, It's about your dad. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> it's about your dad. And actually, Brady's dad and Brady's cousin, Nick, Nick Horn, uh, was one of the longest-serving members of the Fighting Falcons. The longest. He played more games than anyone else. And, uh, and so that, that's a couple of people who I've actually broadcast their games um, playing uh, hockey in Port Huron. All right, so let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it. When you run with us on a Gator UTV, the engine has your full attention. The herd takes notice. And the trail meets its match. Because with Effortling Runs Like a Deer, search John Deere Gator for more. Contact one of Tri-County Equipment's 10 locations in Bad Axe, Birch Run, Burton, Carroll, Fenton, Lapeer, Marlette, Reese, Saginaw, or Sandusky, or visit Tri-County Equipment online at tricountyequipment.com. Marshall and Campbell Company, located in Port Huron, is a full-line distributor of industrial cutting tools, fluid power, electrical tools, and other electrical supplies, providing utility and contract-based services for more than 100 years. The company has a wide range of products that includes abrasives, automotives, ballast and lamps, boxes and Closures, building products, chemicals and lubricants, electrical fittings and equipment, janitorial equipment, wire devices, and tapes and safety products. Marshall E. Campbell Company, located at 2975 Lapeer Road, or call them at 800-250-7520. Buying or selling a home? You need an experienced company standing ready to help you with all your real estate needs who is committed to making you the client number one. O'Connor Realty hung out its real estate sign in the city of Marysville almost 40 years ago to help the good people of this community buy and sell their homes. O'Connor Realty provides access to free, no obligation home valuation reports prepared by a licensed realtor with no hidden fees. Located at 2801 Gratiot Boulevard, Marysville, give O'Connor Realty a call at 810-364-8700. For all your real estate needs, O'Connor Realty, small enough to know you, large enough to serve you. If your windows stick, (laughs) slip, (laughs) squeak, or leak, 
Replace them with Anderson windows with low E glass, low maintenance exteriors, and rich wood interiors, standard and custom sizes. They can turn simple window replacement into serious home improvement. Ah. Hi, Chip Mortimer here, inviting you to experience the difference at Mortimer Lumber. Our expert staff will be here to help before, during, and after the sale. Stop by Mortimer Lumber, 24th and Lapeer Avenue in Brady Fort Huron. Brady here again to tell you about TP Logos. TP Logos has everything you could want when it comes to local high school apparel. Head to their store at 901 Michigan Avenue in Marysville and check out their brand new extended showroom. They're already impressive selection has now doubled i guarantee if you go into tp logos you will find something you love for your local team if they don't have what you like they'll custom make something just for you that's tp logos at 901 michigan avenue in marysville Take advantage of high market values by tapping into your home's equity with a low-rate home equity line of credit from Advia Credit Union. Use the cash for seasonal spending, consolidating high-interest debt, and much more. Learn more and get started online at advscu.org forward slash HELOC. All loans subject to approval. Equal housing opportunity. NMLS number 401863. Garrett Clean by Bachelor has been faithfully serving the Blue Water area for over 25 years. Whether you are commercial or residential, if you need carpet cleaning, stain removal, upholstered furniture, drapery, or air duct cleaning, call Derek Clean by Bachelor at 810-982-7044 and talk to Mike about their aerated foam process that allows carpet and furniture to dry quickly. From pet stains to odor removal to water damage cleaning and restoration, there's only one call you need to make. Derek Clean by Bachelor, 810-982-7044. 44 Duraclean by Bachelor. Magna International is North America's largest auto supplier and now calls the Blue Water area home. Our new plant, located on Range Road in St. Clair, will have great opportunities for all members of the community. Named to Fortune Magazine's World Most Admired Companies two years in a row, Magna offers many different career opportunities. Wages start from $17 and up. Go to magna.com forward slash careers to apply today. Again, magna.com forward slash careers to join our team and create the future of mobility together. The YMCA of the Blue Water area is pleased to announce a Night of Champions Thursday, September 15th at 6 p.m. at the McMoran Arena in downtown Port Huron. Eight-time Emmy Award winner Mike Doc Emmerich will host with special guests, activities, food, and both live and silent auctions. Tickets must be purchased in advance and are available at the YMCA, 1525 3rd Street in Port Huron. Cost is $100 per person or $1,000 for a table. For more information on a Night of Champions, with Mike Doc Emmerich, call the Y at 810-987-6400, extension 132. Finding that missing shin guard, remembering whether it's a home or away game, getting the right kid to the right playing field on the right day. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. We work with independent agents who keep insurance simple so you can worry about more important things, like not being that fan. Come on, Raf. That's simple human sense. For all your real estate and insurance needs, please go to our website at SheridanAgency.com. If you're not listening to GetStuckOnSports.com, that's a personal foul. Your kids, your schools, your sports. All right, welcome back. Dennis and Brady, Tri-County Equipment, Get Stuck On Sports podcast. 
for a uh, Friday, I guess, is uh, yes. what uh, this is going to be. All right. So uh, as some of you know, I hope most of you know by now, uh, I've been doing this for a while, thirty uh, over 30 years on the radio, uh, and then, of course, a couple of years now with uh, GetStuckOnSports.com. But for a long time, I was the voice of hockey in Port Huron. We've had a, right. a number of different franchises roll through here. And you've been the voice of every single one of them at one point or another. Yes. Uh, the the Border Cats were here for six years. I did the first three years of the Border Cats. And then through that organization, I actually moved up to the American Hockey League because ownership here bought a team in Louisville, Kentucky, and then wasted it away. But that's <laughs> that's another story. That's as nice as you can put it without getting someone someone mad and suing you. <laughs> um, they actually, at one time, uh, and this isn't the way I was planning on starting, but it's the way it ended up. Uh, did you know that at one time the offers tried to buy the New York Islanders? Yes, you did tell me that. Um, and, and some other shyster did instead and nearly <laughs> conned the NHL. Oh. <clears throat> Allegedly, <laughs> no, no, that guy was a shyster because oh, yes. they they caught him and 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 they they saved the day and a lot of embarrassment, but but for for a few hours at least, uh, uh, an absolute con man owned the New York Islanders. So and it was almost the offers. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, yeah, so you went from the Border Cats to the to, AHL to the to the the Louisville Panthers, uh, and then from there. I ended up uh, down in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana for a season in the Western Professional Hockey League, which is a story of itself. Right, I was going to say. T- which, which I think I did tell that one last year where I was actually traded. Yes. And uh, that's how I ended up down there. Well, explain how you were traded and, and why it happened. All right. So it actually fairly makes sense. In yeah. Well, the, the, the old general manager here in Port Huron, when I first started working for the Border Cats, was Costa Papista. And Costa, great name, by the way. Yes, that's, that's just that's, that's a just, great hockey name. That that is an awesome just sports name. Like that's a name you don't forget. <laughs> uh, and Costa had gone to Louisville, and he was the one that said, "Hey, stock, come be our play-by-play guy in Louisville." And then even before the season started in Louisville, he realized what was going on, and that that whole thing was going to be an abomination, and that it could actually ruin his hockey career by being a part of it. So he pulled the shoot, and he got a job in the Ontario Hockey League up uh, in a little community called North Bay. And when things fell apart in Louisville, for me, he's like, don't worry, Stuck, it got you covered next season. You'll come up to North Bay. You'll be our broadcaster there. Then he started talking to a couple of guys that he knew from London, Ontario, who had gone down to Lake Charles, Louisiana, to work uh, with the professional team down there. And they're like, our broadcaster is from up in the North Bay area, and your broadcaster, you said, was an American. Why don't we just trade broadcasters? So because you know, there's if if I went to Canada, I got to get a work visa and mm-hmm. stuff, and for it's him to a come lot of down to the U.S., you know, he's the, I forget what they were called, B twos or whatever they they, they were essentially that, a work visa that, that they threw around in the, in the hockey days, and the league would tell us, ah, uh, there aren't any more B twos left, and then they give one to Kalamazoo so that right. they could bring in the player we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> that did happen. Uh, so, anyways, I ended up down there basically 
traded one broadcaster for another so the Canadian guy could work in Canada and I could stay in the United States and uh, work. And, and that in and of itself was a fun experience. But anyways, I'm going to start back my very first year doing it here with, with the uh, the Border Cats. Dave Cameron was the coach, and Dave actually went on to coach some in the National Hockey he League. He was the, what, the coach of the Ottawa Senators, right? Yep, he, he was there, and uh, he was in Calgary for a little while too, maybe. Uh, at least as an assistant, he might have been the head coach there too briefly. But at any rate, Dave was here in uh, Port Huron our, our first year, and Dave was good at a lot of things, but he wasn't good at goalies. <laughs> and, and admittedly so. He's like, goaltending, I, I don't understand it. I don't get these guys. I can't figure them out. And I always guess wrong. I always pick the wrong guys. So we went through seven or eight goalies the first year. Which is a ton. That's a lot. That 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 is a By lot. By the way, he's a head coach in the OHL now. Yeah. He's, he's a really good coach. Um, but, but he always, you know, at least back in the early days, hopefully he's got that resolved now. But in the early days, he, he's, I always struggle with, with goalies and who's the guy and which guy should I pick. And, you know, I, I always struggle with who my number one guy is going to be or, or what goalie do I play? Do I rotate him? Do I keep the guy in that's hot? Mm-hmm. You know, do, do I stick with a guy who's struggling if I believe he's my best guy? Stuff like that. So at, at, at one point, um, it, we were short goaltenders in the first place, so Brady's dad, Roger, is pretty good goalie. Um, he was drafted. He, he played at Ohio State. Yeah. He was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. They just had a guy in camp named Wah or something like that. Yeah. So there, pretty wasn't, good team. there wasn't much future uh, for, for goaltenders not named Wah in Montreal right. at that time. And that, that the time he went to camp, I think they were two or three years away from a Stanley Cup. Yeah. So, so they were loaded. They, they were kind of set, and he ended up kicking around in the minor leagues for a few years. He played for a team called the Flint Bulldogs in the old Colonial Hockey League, which is the league that the Border Cats started. In their first year, they played in the Colonial Hockey League, and then the next year the league rebranded itself and became the United Hockey League, or as we affectionately called it, the U-Haul. Because um, <laughs> that was more descriptive of what was actually going on. But uh, anyways, so Roger originally was just a backup guy. Because by the time the Border Cats came, he was six years removed from college, I think. Yeah. Because I think his last season was 1990, and the first year of the Border Cats was 96-97. But the great story was in the preseason, he played one period in a home exhibition game, and I named him the first star of the the game, and the players were all like, "What, huh?" He gave up a couple of goals too. Like, he, he played one period, he gave up like two goals, and we won the game like eight to four or something. And I gave him the number one star of the game because he's the local kid. Yeah, um, and and the players were up in the room going, "What was that all about? Who picks the three stars?" And I just smiled. I said, "He's a local guy. That's why I picked him." Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, okay." They got it. Like right. once they found out why, they like got it's a it. Preseason they're, they're game, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a preseason game. The guy's not making the team, and he got to play finally in his home arena in front of his home fans. Right. So they, we gave him the first start. Once they knew that that was the story, everybody was cool with it, and, and nobody said anything after that. But I just remember everybody going. What they pick that guy? As a star? <laughs> the other goalies are looking around. He's not making the team, is he? 
But eventually he did have to come in, um, and uh, he played in five different games that year. Because he was basically, what, the emergency backup. Yeah. But only once did he start. Um, and again, it was, it was a hunch. It was one of those things like the, the, other, the other guy that was there at the time wasn't playing well. Um, he was a more established professional goalie, but he, 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 just, he wasn't very good, to be quite blunt about it. Uh, and, and so they actually didn't name your dad the emergency goalie. They actually signed him so right. that they could play him because the emergency rules are, are messed up. It's basically the goalie has to die on the, the, the ice. The goalie pretty much, yeah, has, has to be killed on the ice for the emergency guy to go in. And once your emergency guy goes in, the other guy can't play again. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's done. You, you can't put him back. So uh, a lot had to happen to, to get in. So they signed him to a contract. He's in goal. We're playing the Utica Blizzard, and this is Utica, New York, not Utica yeah. here. Utica here never had a hockey team in the, that I know about. Uh, uh, and so and, and the, there are, at this point, it's a 10-team it's a league. There are eight good teams and two bad teams, and the two bad teams are Saginaw and Utica. <laughs> <laughs> so he figures home game on a Sunday. Utica's terrible. They've they've lost like you know however many in a row. They're coming into McMorrin. They're they're limping in. They only had one goalie that day. They didn't even have a bat, which is against the rules. But somehow they got away with it. Uh, they didn't even have a backup goalie. One of their players is coaching the team. Like they're in they're in total disarray. Uh, and they come in and we're smoking them. It's like five to two with five minutes to go in the third period. Your dad is having a great game. Right. Everything's going the you know, Coach Cameron looks like a genius. Um and and he's gonna buy himself a week of practice to find right. a goalie. Right. But at least for this one Sunday, local hero Roger Beaton, you know, I was Rick Chikaki, I think, was the newspaper writer at the time. Him or Brian Marshall, yeah. but you know they're they're typing up the headlines. You know, lo- local boy steals yeah. game for team, and you know, and they're playing it up. Well, the last five minutes of the game, Utica scores three times to tie it, and in those days there was no overtime. They went right to a five-person shootout. Really? Yeah, that's uh, weird and dumb. That that's the way it was. That's the way it was done. Anyway. Uh, and the, the UHL was one of the first leagues to use the shootout. Which I don't mind the shootout you pa- after like a five-minute overtime. But No, ba- back then it was you played the 60 minutes. If the game ended in a tie, there was a five-round shootout, and that decided the game. So you went right from they, – they scored like with the goalie pulled and only a few seconds remaining to tie the game to right into a shootout, which, of course, they won. Mm-hmm. And from out of nowhere, one of the worst teams in the league – Comes back from three goals down the last five minutes of the game and wins six to five <laughs> and spoil what looked like it was going to be uh, a win for your dad. For now, the that wasn't the one I thought you were going to tell. I thought you were going to tell. I think it was his first game with the Border Cats, maybe, or maybe it was a, a year later when he got the call to go to Flint. To yeah, play that, Flint. that was the next year. Yeah. That was uh, when Doug Crossman was yeah. the coach uh, and uh, Dr. Offer. And by this point, owner. my dad's basically like, I'm. He got the call because they needed a body. Yeah, 
Because you said you have to have a second goalie. You have to have a second goalie. In fact, uh, again, I don't know how Utica got away with not having a second goalie. I'm sure they were fined or something. And then probably didn't pay the fine because they were in financial disarray even by that point of the season. We're only about 20 games into the season. Um, But because we went to Utica later that year, and one of our goalies got ejected from the game. And so... The second goalie was in. The first goalie was right. out. The second goalie was in. And one of our forwards, Dave Ivaska, sat on the bench in, for the third period with goalie pads on. I remember that happening. So we, we were short of forward because a goalie got thrown out because <laughs> the rules say somebody's got to wear the pads. Right. And apparently we didn't want to pay the fine. <laughs> so we threw pads on Dave Ivaska, and he, he sat on the end of the bench. Uh, and didn't get a shift in the third period, but um, yeah, the story in Flint. The the story in in Flint was we we had a kid Johnny Lorenzo was his name, very nice kid. I mean, I really haven't run into any really bad. There are like two guys my entire hockey career that I didn't like. Right to to be really honest about it, like all the guys that have come through town and have been on the various teams that I've worked for have just been great guys. But um, Johnny Lorenzo was sold to Costa as a big-time, big-time goalie out of some junior team in Montreal that I'd never heard of. But anyways, the agent did a real good job selling this kid. And then he got here into town, and it became very obvious that he couldn't keep the Goodyear blimp out of a mouse hole. Um, He was bad. Um, And one night in Flint, it was bad. Like every, uh, they're dumping pucks in from outside the blue line and they're going in the net. He like can't I, stop anything. And finally, Dr. Offer, who was at the game, he's the owner, mm-hmm. because his buddy, Dr. Shakuri, owned Flint. And so they would often, if the games were in Port Huron, they'd sit up in the booth together. If they were in Flint, they sat behind the general's bench together. Um, he got up from his seat and walked down the aisleway through the people. <laughs> Pirani was packed back in those days. It might have even still been IMA at that point. You get him out of there right now or you're fired, basically. And it's like, oh, we've got a backup goalie. So they had to fake some kind of injury and right. say that, that he was injured and have him, like, guys help him off. He, he wasn't hurt, but they were, like had guys help him off the ice like, like he'd hurt his ankle or he something. should have just said he was hurt the way so, he was playing. So that, so that your dad could get in. And, and here's your poor dad. He, he just... He's like, oh, you'll give me 50 bucks to come sit on the bench in Flint tonight? Right. Okay. that That's what he thought his night was going to be. Yeah, he has no intention of playing. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the second period, he's in the game because there's seven goals up on the board already. <laughs> uh, we ended up losing that night 11-6 to in just a, just a stupid, crazy game where everything was going in. But, um, yeah, the, I felt bad for your dad that night because – he wasn't supposed to play in that game at all. Right. And all of a sudden, he's in there by orders of the owner. Yeah, the the owner comes over and basically says, either he's off the ice or you're off the bench. Yeah, it's it's like, get get. he's like, I don't care who you have for the other goalie. It can't be worse. Get him in there. <laughs> and for that night, it was not worse. Yeah, uh, no, and 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 actually, uh, Roger got into another game that year. I just can't remember where it was at or what the circumstances were. But he he played five games the first year. One was a start. The other four were like in mop up. Right. Uh, and he 
got into two games the second year. Um, well, and, and in seven games played, he had only like the one result with Port Huron. And that was and that but, was a shootout loss. Yeah. Um, the one that um, he told me was when he was in Flint. Uh, this was the Bulldogs, again, a year or two before the Border Cats were a thing, so early 90s. He gets a call from the GM. He was playing like senior hockey, just something to do, still play, but not really pursuing professional hockey, just wanted something to do. And he gets a call from the GM and basically says, same thing, we need a body. We'll give you 50 bucks if you come and sit on the bench and if by some miracle or some horrible thing happens and you have to play, you'll get 100 or 150 or something. He's like, I'll take 150 bucks to go sit on a hockey bench and watch a game. So the first period of the first game was like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The first period of the Friday game, I don't remember who they were playing. I should have asked him. But they get into a line brawl. And the co-hall was, it was not too dissimilar from Slapshot in the way, the physicality of the game. Oh, the early years of that league, uh, there was a lot of fighting. Like you had to. Some of those guys are legend. You had to have legit, legit tough guys, plural And they did. And my dad's sitting there, and there's a fight, and the goalies get in it. And he looks over, and he sees a guy in the corner. He's on the ground. One of the Flint players is kicking the player in the face with the toe of his skate. And he's going, oh, my God, what the hell did I just get myself into? So everyone on the ice basically gets ejected. He has to go in there. I think the goalie might have gotten hurt, too. So now he's going... I was supposed to come here and sit for three games, and now I have to play three games in a weekend, <laughs> and I just watched a man get essentially curb-stomped in the corner, and wh- why am I here? He's like, I don't, he's like I'm not going to be a pro hockey player for very long. Just I don't want to do this, and yeah. So that yeah. was like his – he went from, again, oh, I'm just going to go there and sit to, oh, my God, I might get murdered on the ice. <laughs> There was a there was a guy in the league at that time called Sasha Lakovic, who they called the Mad Russian. Uh, Jacques Mayotte was a very famous guy in the uh, league. Uh, Jacques would put Vaseline on his face because then it was harder when when it was in fights. It was harder to get a good punch at him because the your your hand literally like slides off his cheeks. He'd put so much on um, because that that was what he did. He came out to hurt somebody. That was his job, right? <laughs> and he was good at it. Uh, there's there's footage of him. I think it was down in Texas. I don't think it happened in the Colonial League. I think he was playing in either the Central League or the Western League of him stomping across concrete in his skates to get after somebody. Um, I, that, well, that was something that like uh, hockey highlights didn't get on ESPN a whole lot back in the early days. Yeah, uh, and that was one time where they made sure they got the hockey <laughs> highlight on was Jacques Mayotte running across concrete to murder somebody. Well, that and that's just <laughs> a lot of the guys you had in those leagues. Yeah. You had some really talented players, but like I said, you had some guys that were tough as nails. Yeah. So, anyways. Uh, because the your dad played that game against Utica, I, I wanted to talk about some rinks that that I've been to that were, were and the reason that I picked these two is because these are two of the rinks used to film the movie Slapshot. 
Okay, most of the movie Slapshot was filmed in the arena in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. which has uh, been home to teams uh, both professional and junior. And the Fighting Falcons played John- – Johnstown was in the league when the Fighting Falcons junior team. So I got to go to Johnstown, and I was very, very happy when I found out that very little about the rink had changed from the time of the movie. Um, about the only difference was in the movie, there's an organ. Yeah. Because there's a famous scene, don't ever play a lady of Spain again. The organ was gone. But pretty much everything else in the arena was as it was when the movie was shot in the uh, 70s. Um, and this is where into the 2000s by this point. Um, so I, I actually sat in the stall that Paul Newman used in the movie. Um, and it, it, it's a cool experience. And I'm in the booth where the guy does the broadcast right. for the games because he used the actual booth. And I'm, a, and again, not a whole lot had changed with what they'd, they'd done in, in the, the, the rank. So up there where they're talking about, why do you wear that rug? And they have a little fight, and they fall down those right. steps. I mean, I walked up those steps to get into the booth, and so that was a cool experience. The other arena that they use in that movie quite a bit is the arena in Utica. Um, so the scene where he's, the peanut vendors are standing up to them. I've been in that booth. <laughs> I've called games from that booth for a couple of different um, you know, because the Utica Blizzard played there, and then when that franchise went away a few years later, there was the Mohawk Valley Prowlers who came in, and that was their home rink. So I, I did some games in Utica, and I did some games in Johnstown, and I sat in the booths where, you know, the movie Slapshot, was, and, and like the very famous scenes. The Utica scene is the scene where the guy throws the keys from the stands, and the players yep. go up into the stands. And before the game, they're lined up for the anthem, I was say, and the referee the, gets nervous is that and turns the around. One? And I'm he's listening like, to I'm the listening song. to the song. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all done in Utica, and that was a unique rink, too, because, you know, like at St. Clair, how there's yeah. the stage at the one end. There's a stage at Utica that's just kind of like a high school <laughs> stage at the one end of the rink, um, and... All the artwork, this 1970s people with, you know, uh, bell-bottom pants, you know, rainbow-colored stuff. Right. All that stuff was still up there when I was doing Border Cat games in Utica in 1996. Like, they hadn't changed the artwork in the building for 30 years. Well, for our adult listeners... Go and watch Slapshot. <laughs> it is one of the best sports movies ever. Yeah. So Utica and Johnstown, I will always, they'll always have a special place in my heart because the movie Slapshot was filmed primarily using those two rinks, um, and I got to broadcast games from both of them. I've got to broadcast out of four NHL rinks. None of them are in use anymore. That's interesting. Um. The Quebec Coliseum, which was the home of the Quebec Nordique until they moved to Colorado and became the Colorado Avalanche. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, uh, uh, Quebec City was in the NHL, and the Coliseum was where they played. And uh, Quebec, the Quebec Ramparts 
were in the American Hockey League the year I was in the American Hockey League. And what a great old arena. What a great city. If you've always wanted to go to Europe, but you can't afford to go to Europe, or you're like me and you, you don't like to travel, like you can't be in an airplane for nine hours flying overseas, um, go to Quebec City. It is as close to Europe in North America as you can get. They speak nothing. If you try, if you just try, they are the nicest people in the world. Or at least they were in whenever you were there. Yeah, I, I was there in uh, right at the Y2K that, that year, 99-2000. How much French did you have to – did you try to learn? I, I did the best that I could. I had taken some French in high school. Oh. Um, but fully taught French, huh? Fully taught, fully taught Latin. That's useful. Not to me. I took French instead and failed miserably. But, uh, you know, I like I say, if you tried, they were really nice and they did the best that they, they could for you. I, I had to explain to – his name was Paul Harvey, um, but he was one of our, our young players and he was from Boston and he didn't speak any French. He didn't know what was going on. And the, the girl asked him if he wanted fromage with his – scrambled eggs mm-hmm. you know and i just like it's cheese and then from that point on he thought i could speak french i just <laughs> it was like one of the four words that i knew <laughs> yeah she's asking if you want cheese he's like no 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 fromage or whatever <laughs> Garcon. uh so quebec hartford the hartford civic center uh, it, where the hartford whalers played in a mall in a mall that is a true story got out of my hotel room Went through a glass door into a mall. Walked across the mall. Walked through another glass door into the arena. That's awesome. Then That's a terrible place for an NHL rink, but that's awesome. Yeah, and then went up uh, an elevator that never ended because the broadcast booth was literally at the, the top of the roof. It was way, way up there. One of one of the furthest vantage points away from the ice uh, I've ever uh, been. Um, on, only topped in in height by Fort Wayne when they did work to the Coliseum in Fort Wayne and added that next tier. Boy, did that press box get way up there. Uh, and the other place was in New Mexico, where to get to the press box, which was inside, yes. you had to go outside. You actually walked on a catwalk that was on the roof of the building. You were outside of the building for about a hundred feet. Nope. What? Nope. I just. I. I'll, I'll do it from the stands. Nope. Nope. I don't there's like no, heights. There's no way up from the stands. No. No. I'm saying I'm sitting in the stands and do it because <laughs> I don't like heights. Uh, no. I mean it's not that high up. Like, the, the building in New Mexico isn't that high up. You just, to get to it, you go up a flight of stairs that start inside, and they go up through the roof, and then you walk on the catwalk, and then there's steps down into the press box, which overhangs. And it's a former rodeo barn. Most of the ones down south back then were former rodeo barns that they just boarded up and converted into uh, ice rinks. But anyway, so the Hartford Civic Center, that was a great one. The Philadelphia Spectrum. And I got to do about eight games from the Spectrum that year because Philly was in our division, and we played them a lot. We, we played them like eight times there and eight times at home, and uh, the, the schedule was really front-heavy. We played a lot of games in Philly the first half of the, uh, the season, and um, 
and that's special to me um, because Doc Emmerich worked that booth because right. his first NHL job was kid used. Um, Gene Hart, the, a longtime broadcaster with the, the, the Flyers doing TV and radio, um, had used that booth. Like So for uh, a young guy like me at that time, like that was cool. The Philadelphia right. spectrum and plus like – a lot of things that happened at the Philadelphia Spectrum. The 76ers played at the Spectrum. Right. The Flyers played at the Spectrum. The Flyers were invincible at the Spectrum. Kate Smith, who was this opera singer, would come out and sing God Bless America, and the Flyers never lost. If she sang God Bless America, forget it. It would basically be like if you were at like the TD Garden today. Yeah, or- and, and it's... Um, it, it was it was one of the, the big plays for hockey, you know, the Montreal Forum, Maple Leaf right. Gardens, Boston Garden, Olympia, Chicago Stadium, Madison Square Garden, and the Spectrum in Philly. Right. I mean, that, that, was, that was a big deal. This is a little more obscure, but it was an NHL rink at one time. Kemper Arena in Kansas City. All for like a season? Two, two years. They, they were called the Kansas City Scouts. They then became the Colorado Rockies, and they're now currently the New Jersey Devils. So, um, so it's a franchise that yes. still exists, and their first two years were in Kansas City as the scouts, and they used a Kemper Arena in Kansas City. And for one year in the United Hockey League, the Kansas City Outlaws were in the league. I don't know why. But they were. And you got to do games from an and, NHL and ring. got to do games from, Which, from a former NHL side ring. Side note, for if you guys aren't big hockey nistas out there, or even if you are, there's a video on YouTube. It's like 20 minutes long, and it goes over the first year of the NHL. The NHL until like the 90s, really, maybe the 80s, was kind of the Wild West. Like, Oh, yeah. They had teams retracting in like the 70s. They so. had... They had- They've had teams beyond, I mean, in terms of, like, movement. I'm saying and, just, like, disappear. Yeah, but, but I mean, teams teams were moving in the NHL even into the, the 90s. Yeah. Anyway. With, with, like, Winnipeg and Phoenix and Atlanta going to Winnipeg. And anyways, and then the last one that I wanted to, to bring up, and, and then we'll take a break, is Hershey Park Arena, the original Hershey Park Arena, um, which uh, you can't see this, but, but I'll show it to, uh, to Brady. If this thing will get Which off I believe that that's Hershey Park Arena. It looks like a sand, like a tomb in the desert, almost. <laughs> like, doesn't that look like it's, if that it, was in like Egypt an, or something? Like, old, oh, this is where this yeah, king was buried. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's like an old airplane hangar that was turned into a bomb shelter. Is that where the Hershey that was turned into a hockey? Arena. Hershey Bears played the Hershey Bears, which you might know them. They do, or at least before COVID, they were doing the the. Teddy bear toss. They'd set the world record like every year, and it'd be like ten interrupted, uninterrupted. That team. Yeah, um, the, the the Hershey Bears. Um, one of the, two things about Hershey Park Arena, besides the fact that I got to broadcast some games there, right? Uh, which was unique too, because they didn't have a press box, so I sat on uh, the top of an exit, had like uh, a little ledge platform thing, and they just sat you there, and you 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 sat there and. As the seats filled in, people were actually like season ticket holders sat next to you. And back in those days, it was just before like we started using the internet for things. Um, and you still got your stats in between periods and your out-of-town scores on a sheet of paper. 
guy would come running it down. He'd hand it to the first person in the row, and then it would pass <laughs> through like 10 people before it got to you. And, of course, everybody wants to, oh, what's going yeah. on? In, uh, the the Wilkesbury was the big rival right. for her. Oh, what's going on in the Wilkesbury game? Be like mustard stains on it, and you know somebody would have spilled their coke on it, and 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 all of that. But that that was uh, really cool. There were hallways in Hershey Park Arena that led to nowhere. They would just stop with a wall. All right. So if you didn't know your way around the rink and you didn't know where you were going, you could walk yourself into a dead end. That's weird. Yeah, uh, it, it was. But weird in like a way, like as you're walking around on game day when you have your morning skate, that was the fun time because then you could go run around the building and explore. And I walked myself into so many dead ends that day that I wondered if I was going to make it out. You know, it, but but it was really cool. But two things happened at Hershey Park Arena that that are noteworthy. One, a president's birthday party. Dwight Eisenhower's birthday party in 1953 was held at Hershey Park Arena. That's okay. Uh, and Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point yes, game that's right. was played at Hershey Park Arena. The Philadelphia Warriors, for whatever reason, couldn't use the spectrum no, it wasn't, or wherever. It was, but they, um, they wanted – it was like a way to try and grow the game. So they were going to, like, small towns. And, yes, I did know that. So uh, Chamberlain for the Philadelphia Warriors scored 100 against the New York Knicks, and that game happened at Hershey Park Arena, which at that time – could seat, I think, about 300 people. Now, now the building seats over 5,000, or the old building before they tore right. it down seated over 5,000. But at that time, it only seated like 300 people or 3,000 people. I think it was 3,000. And because Wilt Chamberlain comments in his book that he's had over like 20 million people tell him that he was that they were yeah. at that game and the building only sat 3,000 Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, the those, those were like, just great places to go. There are a lot of great places to go. There are a lot of unique places to go. Um, I remember in uh, Janesville, which is in Wisconsin, which was part of the junior league that the Fighting Falcons were in, um, they they also didn't have a press box. And one time – they would move me around the building. I never sat in the same place twice there. One time I sat literally at the end of their bench. Their, uh, their backup goalie could have been my color commentator. <laughs> Um, and, and we won 10 to four that Ooh. night. So they moved me the next night. Um, and I actually sat, uh, a season ticket holder didn't show up in the corner. So they sat me in a corner seat and the guys kept purposely dumping the puck into it, my corner so that the puck scrum was like right in front of me. Like guys are pressed up, their faces pressed against the glass and they're smiling at me. Hey, Mr. Snuggy. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, arenas can be fun. All right, uh, we'll take a break, and, uh, and I'll make up some more stories if I can't think of some real ones. Get ready for outdoor fun at Alpine Cycles in downtown Port Huron. Skateboards, bikes, longboards, and accessories. They have everything you need to enjoy the warm weather. Alpine Cycles offers the best selection, and they're always getting new daily arrivals. Stop by Alpine Cycles today at 762 Huron Avenue at the corner of Huron and Glenwood, or call 982-9281. Open Monday from 10 until 6, Friday and Sunday, noon to 4. When you run with us on a Gator UTV... The engine has your full attention. The herd takes notice. 
and the trail meets its match. Because with effortless four-wheel drive and our smoothest shifting transmission yet, nothing runs like a deer. Search John Deere Gator for more. Contact one of Tri-County Equipment's 10 locations in Bad Axe, Birch Run, Burton, Carroll, Fenton, Lapeer, Marlette, Reese, Saginaw, or Sandusky, or visit Tri-County Equipment online at tricountyequipment.com. Marshall and Campbell Company, located in Port Huron, is a full-line distributor of industrial cutting tools, fluid power, electrical tools, and other electrical supplies, providing utility and contract-based services for more than 100 years. The company has a wide range of products that includes abrasives, automotives, ballast and lamps, boxes and Closures, building products, chemicals and lubricants, electrical fittings and equipment, janitorial equipment, wire devices, and tapes and safety products. Marshall E. Campbell Company, located at 2975 Lapeer Road, or call them at 800-250-7520. Neiman's Family Market, located in St. Clair, is family-owned and operated and involved in the community. Neiman's has created a shopping experience providing a variety of quality products, specialty items, with superior customer service. Whatever your grocery needs are, from meats, bulk food, bakery items, produce, or even floral, Neiman's Family Market has what you will need. Entertaining? Neiman's has a full deli, and they do party trays. Check out our new mobile website and see weekly specials, coupons, and recipes. Open 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. all week long. Visit Neiman's Family Market in St. Clair. You'll be glad you did. Do you have the right financial advisor to help you reach your goals? Ameriprise Advisors can create a personalized, goal-based plan to help you prepare for whatever life brings so you can feel more confident about your financial future. Call Ameriprise Financial Advisor Dave Betts today at 810-987-5370. That's 810-987-5370. Office is located at 527 Huron Avenue, Port Huron, Michigan. Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC. Member FINRA and SIPC. Take advantage of high market values by tapping into your home's equity with a low-rate home equity line of credit from Advia Credit Union. Use the cash for seasonal spending, consolidating high-interest debt, and much more. Learn more and get started online at adviacu.org forward slash HELOC. All loans subject to approval. Equal housing opportunity. NMLS number 401863. Having car trouble? Look no further than Marysville Goodyear. Located at 291 Range Road, Marysville Goodyear will take care of all your automotive needs. They know that just one visit to them will make you a customer for life. Whether it's a tune-up or tire rotation, consistency is the name of the game for the folks at Marysville Goodyear. Need tires? Marysville Goodyear is a certified dealer of Goodyear, Dunlop, and Kelly tires, and they stock tires for cars, trucks, SUVs, and more. Give them a call today at 810-364-4700. Marysville Goodyear, where your satisfaction is our guarantee. Are you getting out of a lease or ready to trade in your vehicle? Stop by Jepson Car Company and we'll be here to assist you. We are constantly buying out lease vehicles and almost always putting money into your pocket. No matter what you owe, we can help. If you don't see your perfect vehicle in our lot, we will help you find it. Our purchasing team has decades of experience to help find the vehicle that is best for you. Call Jepson today at 810-662-3048 or stop by at 5277 Gratiot Avenue in St. Clair. This is Nash Phillips. I'm a class of 2022 senior and varsity football player at Port Huron High. As a Port Huron School student, I get to experience an education with the most athletic, extracurricular, and academic opportunities in the region. The district provides personal success for all students because each Port Huron School's journey is unique and special. I know I am supported by my teachers and everyone in the district both in the classroom and on the football field. I also know they care about my well-being each and every day. 
Poor Huron Schools have prepared me for anything I choose to do with my future. Please go to www.phasd.us and our social media for the latest updates on Port Huron Schools. Magna International would like to thank the Blue Water area for welcoming us into their community. We are excited to put our roots down in this beautiful, growing area. As the largest auto supplier in North America, we are thrilled to call Blue Water area home and look forward to many, many years in this wonderful community. Our brand new facility is located off of Range Road in St. Clair, Michigan. Magna is a proud sponsor of Blue Water Area High School Athletics. If you're not listening to GetStuckOnSports.com, that's a personal foul. Your kids, your schools, your sports. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Off the air sometimes is more fun than on the air. Uh, the, the greatest... Hockey name, all time, any league that I've ever worked in where I had to, had to actually keep a straight face and say the name while I was on the air. A uh, guy that played uh, in the United Hockey League for a couple of different teams. He was in Rockford. He played in uh, Muskegon. Uh, actually, one or two other teams might have had him briefly. His name was Robin Big Snake. No, it wasn't. His name was Robin Big Snake. Spelled exactly how it sounds. Or two two words: B I G S N A K. Oh my God! This is a real person. And and look at his pim, and then look at his goals. He could play, and he was good tough. lord. Did he just fight? And when he wasn't fighting, he was scoring. <laughs> he was he was a commodity because he was one of those rare guys that could score twenty goals and get five hundred penalty minutes. <laughs> Robin Big that Robin sounds like Big a Snake. character in a video game you play when they need a generic tough guy and oh that's Robin Big Snake and you're like what well, he he was obviously uh, a native uh, and I'm he, yeah, he was sure. from um oh I'm going to butcher this um Sixica Nation in um Alberta yeah yeah good good luck with I don't know how to to say it I know S-I-K- what it is. S I K S I K A. So I'm going with Six Sick Nation. Okay. In Al- well, in we, Alberta. Well, we apologize because it was not our it, intent to uh, to say that wrong. But it just uh, we some somehow names came up <laughs> during the thing, and Robin Big Snake is like the wildest. So wait, name. would you call him Snake or Big Snake? Big Snake. His name was Big Snake. His first name was Robin, and then his last name was Big Snake. Wow, Siksika Nation's actually like kind of not in the middle. I was expecting it to be like northern, northern Alberta, not that far from Edmonton. So, and and, and I and I'm gonna bet you too that Robin Big Snake's not the only player from that area that's gone on to play professional hockey. I'll bet you there's NHL guys from there. Anyway, anyways, uh, yeah, yeah, that was just got <laughs> Robin Big Snake. Robin Big Snake. That I mean. The one name that me and my friends will never forget because I, I had to tell them was Evan Evans. Yeah. The the basketball Evan, player. Evan Evans from, the third or Yeah, Evan Evans the third from <laughs> Cranbrook, who was a bench player that hit seven threes against Mooney. That is one that <laughs> when I am telling stories twenty some years from now, I will bring up Evan Evans. But Robin Big Snake. Wow. All right. So if if you're on the fence about being a hockey fan, my suggestion to you is watch Overtime, NHL, playoff, hockey. When you have nothing invested in either team, you don't care who wins. 
watch yourself some overtime playoff hockey. You will fall in love with the game. You will become a fan. You will want to never miss a hockey game ever the rest of your life. Um, However, if you are a fan of a team that is in overtime, it is the worst thing ever invented. It is the cruelest. Yeah, yeah. It is the, the most evil invention of all time. And as a broadcaster, over the course of a, of a long regular season, um, and in the UHL and in the American League and in the, the IHL and, and the leagues that I was in, I, I think the shortest season we played was 70 games. And in some leagues, we played 76 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, one year in the UHL, somebody got the bright idea to play to actually play an 80-game season. Jeez. Uh, and then you get into the play. You, you kind of get invested into yeah. your teams. I mean, that's a, I mean, you go from October to April, basically. And overtime in the playoffs sucks. <laughs> it's either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it, it's either like in it's fleeting. It's for that moment and before you've wrapped up your broadcast and moved on, you realize you got another game tomorrow night. Yeah. It's draining. Uh and when you lose, you don't get over it. No. You don't get over it. So, I've experienced a few overtimes. <laughs> Uh, and, and my very first one should have been memorable for a different reason. Okay, so my, my very first uh, year doing it, the Border Cats made the playoffs. We played Brantford in the first round. First round was best of five. Port Huron had to win game four to get the series to a fifth game back in Brantford. It was a must-win game. They're down 2-1 in the series. Um, and this is my first playoff series ever mm-hmm. that I'm that I'm doing, and and my boss Larry Smith, for whatever reason, wanted me to, like I'd done pretty much the whole regular season without a color yeah. commentator, yeah. but he wanted me to have color commentator for the home playoff games, and the the first night, Billy Watt did the game mm-hmm. with me, and Billy didn't say too much, right. You know, he, he interjected where it needed to be interjected, and if there wasn't anything to say, he just didn't say anything, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of like that style. <laughs> well, especially when you don't we have – We got along really well. <laughs> especially when you don't have chemistry with someone. Like, well, I mean, that wasn't an issue. I, I knew Billy. Well, no, I, but I, it's, know, it, it I, takes, I mean, probably 50 games to get in that flow to know exactly what – okay, Dennis is about to give me yeah. an opportunity and – but like some guys, like every time there's a stoppage, they want to say something, even though nothing happened. Like okay, there was a face-off and the puck rolled to the goalie and he covered it. Waddy would look at that and go, "Yeah, what do you want me to say?" Yeah. Oh, great, great job by the goalie doing his job and covering the puck that's going an inch a mile per hour. It's like he's he just wasn't going to waste your time with stuff like that. Second night, I worked with Billy Lacane, and Billy Lacane. Had the the the, on, the the only guy that that I've ever heard say more is Bobby McKillop. <laughs> Billy Lacane and Bobby McKillop, same mold. They could talk. Killer still can. Yes, but, but Billy was a talker, and he would talk and he would. Talk. I couldn't get commercial breaks in because 
Billy was always talking. He was always saying something. Good stuff. Yes. Like he knew his stuff, and, and it, it, it was great. But he was talking, especially when the overtime game-winning goal by Ryan Burgoyne <laughs> is being scored in game four to tie the series and force it. You can't hear me saying he scores over Billy's <laughs> And you can laugh about it 25 years later, 30 years I laughed later. about it then. Like When I listened back to it afterwards, I'm like, oh, my goodness. He drowns out the whole thing. Like He lets go just a... You know, I'm I'm going. You know, blue ends behind the net. Yeah. He centers out in front for Burgoyne, and then you can't hear the part where I say, "Hey, score! We're going to get!" Because all you hear is Billy going, <laughs> for like thirty seconds solid. Like he just <laughs> forgot he was a broadcaster and yeah. became a fan. And and that's why you can't get mad at it because it, it was an it was an honest like response. Uh, in an emotional So uh, I don't know if you know this, but I guess <laughs> the comparison I would give for that is, have you, you remember when Appalachian State beat Michigan? Yep. Did you ever hear the like Appalachian State radio call? No, but I can imagine they're going bonkers, I'll play it for like you in the insane. break, and I imagine it, because one guy just loses his mind, and I think it might have been like the student radio, and the guy just starts screaming, and the play-by-play guy's trying to stay with it, <laughs> and the other guy's just like, oh my God, we just beat Michigan, and yeah, it's. I'll play it for you in the break. But so, so that was the one we won. Oh, we, we ended up losing the series in in five games, and we actually we got ripped in game five, seven to one. I know what the next one is, and I'm still going to be mad about but, it. No, well, the, the 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 so the next year, we, oh, we played them again. Oh, okay. And this time they had expanded the first round, so it was a best of five series. Best of seven, you mean? Be, yeah, best of seven series, and we got smoked four straight games, and game four was the only game of the series that was close. Like, we got smoked the first three games, two of them in Port Huron. Yeah. Like, there was a scheduling issue, so we played game one in Brantford. Got Huron and got blown out in both games, like 7-2 to two and 6-3. to three. And then we went back and played game four in Brantford, and we were actually, at one point, I think we were up 5-2, to two, and we lost 6-5 to five in overtime, and the overtime goal, like, happened off the face-off. Like, they won the face-off, got it down in our zone, and, like, 20 seconds into overtime, bang, they score, series is over. There is nothing worse than a goal that just ends your season. Yeah. It's like, boom, they scored. Oh, there's no game tomorrow. Yeah. There's nothing. Season's over. Long summer. See you in four months. We just got smoked in four games. Yeah. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Kind of, kind of a feeling. Then my third year, we played Thunder Bay in the first round of the uh, 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 and game seven in Thunder Bay goes to overtime, and like the the guy like in every series has a villain, mm-hmm. um, and and it was the villain for Thunder Bay that scored the series winning goal. He had speared a guy earlier in a series in a game that Mike Emmerich was broadcasting with me. <laughs> And Mike Emmerich was like, if this guy doesn't get suspended, there's like blah, blah, blah. This league is terrible. And they gave the guy like a one-game suspension, and then he came back and scored the series-winning goal in overtime of game seven. It was horrible. (laughs) See, the overtime game I thought you were going to talk about was – We don't mention that game. Yeah. Probably (laughs) – 
<laughs> I mean, would it be fair to say maybe the most heartbreaking game you've ever done? Oh, w- without question. So, uh, and this and this was the Ice Hawks. So I was in that age where you know enough about sports and it's your whole world, and especially when it's Port Huron, it's your hometown guys. So this, what year was this? Oh eight. Uh, 07, 08, somewhere in that. So I'm like, territory. I'm like 11 or 12, and yeah, the Ice Hawks had a really good team, and, and I'd been doing it for a while and never really come close. Like the 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 closest uh, Port Huron team had gotten in the new era uh, of hockey was one year we made it to the conference finals as the Beacons. Uh, yes, we were the we were the Beacons. We beat Flint in the first round. And then we had a, a grueling series with Elmira, and we lost to Elmira, and we were just downhearted because Muskegon was getting through to the finals, mm-hmm. and we were the only team in the league that year that they had a losing record to. Like, for whatever reason, we matched up well with Muskegon, and especially in their building. Like, we swept them that year. This is a team that won 50-something games, and we swept them in their building that year. And we beat them like five out of six times that we played them. Um, and some of the games weren't even close. So we were thinking, man, if we can get to the finals, we think we think it's at very least an even series. Right. Even though the records would say differently. Um, and we had Gretzky and Firth. Not Wayne, um, the brother. Yeah, Brent. But, I mean, w- w- the, the, these were w- – we had a really good uh, team, and we lost that series to Almira, and and that was the crusher. That was the closest it ever gotten to getting to a final. So finally, the the Ice Hawks finally remember we went through the Border Cats, the Beacons, the Flags, and the Ice Hawks, and it was six years of the Border Cats, three years of the Beacons, so that's nine years. Two years of the Flags, that's eleven years. And so my my twelfth year just in Port Huron, and I'd been right. other places as well. Didn't have so, success anywhere. So it's like else. my fourteenth year broadcasting, and we're finally in the finals. And not only that, we got up three games to one in the series, and we are the heavy underdog. Oh, Fort Wayne was like the Goliath. They were the Orchard Lake St. Marys of that league. Yeah, like that league was. It was if they didn't win, something went wrong. Uh, it it was called the Turner Cup, and it and it be, had become such a joke that Brendan Savage, the newspaper writer in uh, Flint, whenever he wrote Turner Cup in print, he spelled cup with a K, because the Fort Wayne Comets spell comets with a K. It, the The league was in place so that the Comets could win a cup every year because their owners like to win, mm-hmm. and so. The, the big joke around the league was it's the, you know, the, the cup is spelled with a K because it's the Comets Cup anyways. Um, but so it was a great series. Um, all the games were tooth and nail. And we won one early. Uh, like the, the greatest victory ever was game one of that series. We went into Fort Wayne. The, I remember the, the, they're, they're the big market. They had two newspapers. And both their newspaper guys are like, oh, what do, what do you think? Comets win in five. And I looked at them and I said, because they, they wiped us out in the, during the season. They won like 13 out of 15 games against us in the regular season. And I said, guys, we haven't played you in a month and a half. We are way different 
than the last time you played us. I said, we're not going to win this series. But at some point in this series, you guys are going to be nervous. I guarantee it. And they just kind of sloughed it off and like, whatever, yeah, you know, you're, you're the poor. You, you got to say that. When it was three games to one, they both came up to me and apologized. <laughs> it, it's kind of cool when, when you're right. And at that point, they were both conceding. They're right. like, oh, there's no way we're coming back. You well, guys are playing so well. But. Well, I, I remember before we get to game seven, game six, I remember was a gong show in Port Huron. Because young Brady was there with his red and black face paint on. And <laughs> that was a game where the fans got so upset, I, if I recall correctly, there was stuff being thrown on the ice. Yeah. Well, I mean, because, again, Fort Wayne played by a different standard of rules than the rest of the league. And it, I, it was it was well known. Yeah. Like the, the – I, I can remember plays now. Anytime there was any pressure in the Comet zone, uh, their goaltender, Boucher, would turn around and shove the net back to the wall and get a stoppage. That's supposed to be a penalty yeah. when you're so blatantly obvious about it. He, he would literally, he, would, he was a little guy, and he'd just turn around, he'd reach up, grab the crossbar, and push it all the way back to the back wall and get a stoppage. Um, they, they had another guy who took the – this was before they had the penalty for shooting the puck over the glass, Mm -hmm. and he would just turn and he would shoot it off the the back wall at McMoran Arena to get a stoppage. Anytime they were in any kind of trouble, they'd do things that had Port Huron done them. Those are penalties for delay of game. Even in game seven, we scored. Well, well, set set up game seven first. Well, anyways, so they – They've tied the series. It's three to three after Port Huron's leading, um, three to one, and you're going to Fort Wayne for one more game. Yeah, and, and it started out total dejection because they had two goals before anybody's seat was warm. They're up two nothing early in the first period, and you're thinking, Bruh. so close. Yes, but the game kind of settled down. Uh, in the middle of the second uh, period, uh, we caught a break, and on a two-on-one break, uh, Jeff Zare scored a goal to make it two-to-one. And you're like, "Oh, hey, a little bit of life here." We're not going to get shut out. We're not. We're not getting shut out. We, we, we've got it to within a goal. And, and then I'm thinking to myself, "Well, you know, this is nice, but now they're going to call like six straight penalties on us hmm. to make sure we don't get the tying goal." And actually, I think they did. Hmm. <laughs> And we killed them all off. So now it's the third period, and it's still two to one with 15 minutes to go. It's still two to one with 10 minutes to go. It's still two to one with five minutes to go. And that's when you're thinking, okay, we're running out of time, but the less time there is, the more the less time there is that they can screw us. Right. And the better chance it is. And sure enough, we pulled the goalie. And with, like, 55 seconds to go, 54 seconds to go, Tab Lardner took a more of a pass than a shot, really. And it hit uh, Guy Dupuis, who was their big star defenseman who shouldn't have been playing in that league. He he should have been playing in the American League, but they paid him more money to play in Fort Wayne, (laughs) even though there was a salary cap, supposedly. Um, And it went in off of his skate and, and into the net and tied the game at 2-2, two to two, and we're going to overtime in game seven in Fort Wayne when we were down like 2 nothing five minutes into the game, 
and I was thinking we're going to get smoked nine to nothing tonight, and all of right. this wasn't even worth it. To now, all of a sudden, oh my goodness, it's a one-shot game. Somehow, let's win the face-off and get the first shot and and steal the cup. Right in their own building, where they just never lost. Where they yeah they, they just never lost. So in the first overtime, we get the chance. We get the chance. It comes back to the point to Jamie Lovell. He's wide open. He could have taken the shot himself, but he saw Chris Vernarski standing over in the right face-off circle, wide open with a wide-open net. Guy for Fort Wayne, um, French guy, and his name is slipping my mind now because this is such bad memories that you're bringing up for me. He sees it. But he can't get over to cover Vernarski, so he does the next thing that he can do. He makes a baseball slide at the net. And as Vernarski takes the pass and fires it dead center where an open net should be, this guy's sliding into the goal and knocking it to the back wall, and the puck goes through where the two pegs are. Should be a goal. Right. Like, the, the, the official can go, that's a goal. Right, which, in the defenseman's credit, that that's the best thing he could do. It was... Well, and they let him get away with it. Hmm. They're like, nope, nope, that's off. Play's over. And 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 they might have even figured out a way to bring the face off out of the zone. <laughs> like, the, the league was kind of that way. So we play the first overtime, scoreless. We play a second overtime, scoreless. And both teams are committing high treason out on the ice. Oh, you're not there, calling any penalties there, at that there, point. There is murder. There is destruction. They're, they're, they're bombing each other. They're knifing each other. Guys are like, you know, they, they lose their sticks. Well, their arm broke off anyway, so they use their arm to hit the puck head. <laughs> it, 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 it was brutal. It was war, and it was beautiful. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, the, the thing in playoff hockey is you don't call a penalty in playoff hockey unless a guy baseball swings the stick at someone, basically. Or unless the Fronkies call from downstairs to the ref's cell phone and said, Comet's owner. get us a power play. And in the final minute of the second overtime, they called a too many men on the ice penalty against Port Huron. Which, in regulation, doesn't ever get called. So um, we get through the final minute of overtime, but we didn't make it through the first minute of the third overtime. They scored 30 seconds, and there's 30 seconds left on that power play, uh, and uh, Hodgson scored the goal, another American League player playing in the U-Haul or playing in the IHL for the love of the game. Right. And not for the exorbitant amounts of money. And they were putting his girlfriend up in a hotel uh, and taking care of her. And Yeah. Anyways, so – they were under the cap, though. Yeah, Brady. So that that they swear game, by it. that's probably still <laughs> that series one of my all time like most bitter moments. Like that, uh, Tory Hunter flipping over the right field wall, and the Lions Cowboys playoff game <laughs> are probably like my top three of. Just every time it brings it up, it's like, yeah, mm, I can't say what I want to say on the air. 
Well, I had the uh, I had the video cassette of the game. Um, and one day I was watching over and over Vernarski's shot yeah. and going, you know, seeing where the puck was, where the goal was when he was slamming into it. Right. It's a goal. Yeah. It's a goal. Port Huron won the cup. Yeah. They won. Uh, and I'm and I'm saying that, you know, you might say, oh, well, uh, no. I'm telling you, if it wasn't a goal, I'd be sitting here telling you it wasn't a goal. Right. We're worried about nothing. We we scored. We, we won that. And I got so mad, I, I pulled it out and threw it against the wall and shattered it into a bazillion pieces so I don't have game seven anymore. <laughs> well. But anyways, uh, that, that was uh, – oh. But overtime is brutal. But one one series was a great series, mostly because we won. But we swept Flint, so that do was you, awesome. Do you want to save this for the final segment? Uh, or I you, can do that. All right. So all right. when we'll come back, I'll tell you about the time we swept Flint, but it felt like a nine-game series. <laughs> all right. Buying or selling a home? You need an experienced company standing ready to help you with all your real estate needs who is committed to making you the client number one. O'Connor Realty hung out its real estate sign in the city of Marysville almost 40 years ago to help the good people of this community buy and sell their homes. O'Connor Realty provides access to free, no obligation home valuation reports prepared by a licensed realtor with no hidden fees. Located at 2801 Gratiot Boulevard, Marysville, give O'Connor Realty a call at 810 364 87 for all your real estate needs, O'Connor Realty. Small enough to know you, large enough to serve you. Hi, Chip Mortimer here. So much depends on your roof. Mortimer Lumber proudly features the Landmark Series shingle from CertainTeed Roofing. Landmark shingles come in many colors to surely enhance the look of your home. Landmark shingles offer a limited lifetime warranty, so you can be assured your roof will last for generations to come. Stop by Mortimer Lumber at 24th and Lapeer in Port Huron. Our expert staff will be glad to help answer all of your questions. Mortimer Lumber has locations in Port Huron, Emily City, Sandusky, and Bad Axe. Neiman's Family Market, located in St. Clair, is family-owned and operated and involved in the community. Neiman's has created a shopping experience providing a variety of quality products, specialty items, with superior customer service. Whatever your grocery needs are, from meats, bulk food, bakery items, produce, or even floral, Neiman's Family Market has what you will need. Entertaining? Neiman's has a full deli, and they do party trays. Check out our new mobile website and see weekly specials, coupons, and recipes. Open 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. all week long. Visit Neiman's Family Market in St. Clair. You'll be glad you did. Brady Beaton here again to tell you about TP Logos. TP Logos has everything you could want when it comes to local high school apparel. Head to their store at 901 Michigan Avenue in Marysville and check out their brand new extended showroom. Their already impressive selection has now doubled. I guarantee if you go into TP Logos, you will find something you love for your local team. If they don't have what you like, they'll custom make something just for you. That's TP Logos at 901 Michigan Avenue in Marysville. Marysville. Overhead Door Company of St. Clair County has been serving the community for over 30 years. Located at 5400 Lapeer Road in Kimball, overhead doors are the premier choice for durability, serviceability, and hassle-free performance for commercial and industrial doors. Overhead doors boasts a complete selection of performance and safety-tested commercial and industrial upward-acting doors and manufacture a wide array of styles to meet your needs. Overhead Door Company of St. Clair County, 5400 Lapeer Road in Kimball, call 810-810. 
210-987-2185. We welcome you to make Port Huron Schools your district of choice. Your child will experience an education with the most athletic, extracurricular, and academic opportunities in the region at Port Huron Schools. We specialize in providing personalized success for all students because each Port Huron Schools journey is unique and special. This year, more than ever, we truly appreciate our families and would like to thank them for their continued support. Please go to www.phasd.us and our social media for the latest updates on Port Huron Schools. Having car trouble? Look no further than Marysville Goodyear. Located at 291 Range Road, Marysville Goodyear will take care of all your automotive needs. They know that just one visit to them will make you a customer for life. Whether it's a tune-up or tire rotation, consistency is the name of the game for the folks at Marysville Goodyear. Need tires? Marysville Goodyear is a certified dealer of Goodyear, Dunlop, and Kelly Tires, and they stock tires for cars, trucks, SUVs, and more. Give them a call today at 810-364-4700. Marysville Goodyear, where your satisfaction is our game. Kaywood Auto has been serving the Blue Water area for over 100 years. They have the area's best selection of pickups and SUVs. And now Kaywood Auto is offering corrosion-free rust proofing. Call 987-3030. That's 987-3030 to make an appointment. Voted 2021 Best of the Best and President's Award winner plus 2022 Dealer of the Year, Kaywood Auto is open Saturdays 9 until 2. Visit www.kaywoodauto to make an appointment. Kaywood Auto has been serving the Blue Water area for over 100 years. Hello, this is Tim Sheridan, owner of Sheridan Real Estate and Insurance in Lexington. A family tradition that started back in 1925 with Grandpa Sheridan. Promoting trust, care, and excellence, Sheridan is dedicated to understanding and taking care of all your needs. Respected throughout the community and dedicated, Sheridan is a proud supporter of local activities like high school athletics. For all your real estate and insurance needs, please go to our website at SheridanAgency.com. If you're not listening to GetStuckOnSports.com, that's a personal foul. Your kids, your schools, your sports. All right, welcome back. Dennis Stuckey, Brady Beaton, Tri-County Equipment, Get Stuck on Sports podcast. Kind of uh, meandering. I've actually gone uh, longer than I thought the, that I would, but I, I wanted to... to. And you thought you weren't going to have enough stories. We, well, I mean, you know, we've been kind of rambling. But uh, one of my favorite series, uh, obviously, anytime we play Flint in, in the playoffs, um, that was the big rival for the Port Huron well, That's a rivalry that teams. goes back, way back. That goes back to the old, the original flags, and and, and originally Flint was really good, mm-hmm. um, and they won the first couple of championships when when I was in in the league, and they were just loaded, and Robbie Nichols was a, uh, and and they they were the team that everybody hated, and gradually over the years they progressively got worse, and they then became the financially distraught Flint uh, Generals, um, but anyways. We played them in the playoffs uh, a couple of times, and I'm happy to say never lost a series to them. In, in fact, in eight playoff games, we went 7-1 and one against them because the, the Ice Hawks team that went to the finals beat Flint in the round before that four games to one. Uh, and the Beacons beat Flint in a best-of-five first-round series the year that they, they went to the conference finals and then lost to Elmira. Uh, but that that was a best of five series that lasted three games that felt like a nine game series. Like I, it's it's the one time after a series 
where like I just sang the praises of the losing team. Like on, you know, I we just won this series in three straight games. I'm so happy we're moving on, but my goodness, uh I, I've never seen a team lose in three straight games battles, you know, so right. hard and they could have won the series in three straight games. Game one in Flint, we won four to three, and the winning goal was scored. Uh, we we were down three. No, okay, it was a two-two game going into the third, and we popped two quick goals to start the third to go up four-two. Then they scored about ten minutes left in the game to make it four to three, and it was a guy who hadn't scored a goal all year long scored to make it four to three. And the last ten minutes of that game was us holding on, our goalie making horseshoe saves, guys blocking shots, and we escaped game one with a four to three win. Game two went double overtime in Flint. In the first overtime, Flint had a penalty shot. Oh. And Corey Cooper made the save. Our goalie made made a kick save on John DePace, who was a really good player. Like, I'm like my my description of it is okay, here we go. DePace to try to tie the series. He's moving in. He's quite the sniper. Oh my goodness, Corey Cooper with a big save. We're still playing somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so sure he was going to snipe a goal. And and he was, you know, he was one of those guys. He killed Port Huron. Mm-hmm. He scored 40 goals a year and 15 of them came against Port Huron. Like he he was always getting hat tricks against Port Huron. So you're just thinking Series is tied. We're going back to Port Huron 1-1. And somehow we get into a second overtime, and it was late in the second overtime. I think we were in the last minute of the second overtime, uh, and a guy named Adam Duwan scored. And it was a play that the, the puck was down in the Flint zone for 30 or 40 seconds, like we were trying to work it out of the corner. And the guys had been trapped on the ice for Flint, and they were just dog-tired so that by the end of the play – it was really only like two Port Huron guys standing all alone in front of their goalie, and they scored the goal. And and it's it's because their other guys are just they're they're like laying on the ice in the corner, just exhausted. Um. So so we're up two games to nothing, and we come back to Port Huron, thinking, whew, you know, the tough part is out of the way. We broke their backs in game two, right. winning like that. Uh. And no. It's five nothing Flint halfway through the game in Port Huron. Five nothing. Five nothing. They've chased our number one guy Corey Cooper, the hero of Game Two, stopped the penalty shot. Nor they've chased him out of the game, and our backup Stu Dunn comes in, and Stu doesn't give up a goal the rest of the game. And with like five minutes to go in the second period, we had a really good player by the name of Adam Duan, who unfortunately had concussion issues that shortened his career. He scored three straight goals. So we, we go from being down 5 nothing with five minutes to go in the second period to it's 5-3 to three at intermission. And you have hope. A two-goal deficit there feels like a tie game. And, and, but, and you could feel the switch. Like you could feel like, okay, our guys are thinking about sweeping the series now. Mm-hmm. And we came out. Benoit Jeunesse scored like two minutes into the third to make it five to four. And about five minutes into the third, Brent Gretzky ties it five to five, and we look unstoppable. Then all of a sudden, Flint's goalie, 
uh, a little Czech guy named Jan Chauvin, hmm. who didn't have much of a career. In fact, he played for Kansas City not very well. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, this guy learns how to be a goalie. Like the, the fifth goal went in, and he's like, no soup for you the rest of the night. <laughs> no soup for you. He, he must have made 20 saves in the third period after the game-tying goal. And he must have made another 20 saves in the first overtime period. Now we're into the second overtime period. And, and it, it's all Port Huron now. Right. We're just coming wave after wave after wave. And I've seen this before a million times. You can't get it, and they're going to come down, they're going to get one chance. And it's going to go through his path. One stupid bounce. And, yeah, they're, and they're going to get a goal because Stu's playing out of his mind, and eventually he's going to let one in. Right. Um, but we just kept coming and coming and coming. And a similar play to game two where their guys are just exhausted and everybody's falling down all over the ice. Uh, and, and Michelle Beausoleil came out from behind the net, and he, he had, like, I, I almost thought he took too much time and, like, stick-handled himself away from a good scoring chance. But he eventually kind of worked in, and he deked out the goalie, and he scored the goal. So we won the last two games in double overtime, having to come back from 5 nothing down in the third game so that we swept the series in three straight games, but it just felt exhausting. Like, it just felt, oh, what did we do? We, we like, you went 12 birth. rounds, but you got the knockout in the 12th round. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was a really just excruciating uh, experience, but a fun one in the end because we won the overtime games, and we got to savor them because it was like a week before we started the mm. next series with uh, Elmira. And we actually won the first game against Elmira, and then we lost game two at home in overtime, and that was when we knew we were in trouble. So the one last thing I wanted to bring up, that since the last time you've done one, a documentary came out, and I'm sure there are people out there that saw it, on the Danbury Trashers. <laughs> It's on Netflix. It's part of the series. I can't think of what it's called, but like untold crime and penalties or something. Yeah. It's something like that. And it comes and, out. And I have not watched it, and the reason is is I don't need to. Right. Because they don't really mention Port Huron in the documentary. I think there's a Rick Jakaki article that they show from the Times-Herald, and I think they show a clip and or Rick two. Rick was probably praising him because he loved that style. And there was... I think, a clip or two of a game against Port Huron. But if you've watched that Dan Barry Trashers documentary, and it is a well-done documentary, Dennis, you were in the league at the same time that was going on. Yeah, I was living that. So now, I don't want to spoil the whole thing for you if people want to go and watch it, but basically a mob boss bought a hockey team for his kid. He's yeah. 19-year-old kid. Yeah. Like, imagine, I don't know, that you bought it and you gave uh, Logan Sheffer a hockey team tomorrow. And that's <laughs> that's basically what happened. It's, that's Except I don't think the kid was as good of a kid as Logan Sheffer. No. No. Uh, he, he, was, he was an interesting character. He was a son of a mob boss. So, son of a mob boss. Uh, they, they were called the Trashers because they owned a basically a garbage disposal company. Mm -hmm. That was their front, I guess, is, is what you want to call it. The hockey team was basically, uh, it, it was a toy for his kid, but it was also a laundry 
Yeah, the kid, they, he gave it for his kid because the kid got an injury. He was a hockey player, and he, like, blew out his knee, and he couldn't play hockey anymore. So, you know, like most dads do, they bought him a hockey yeah. team. But, yeah, they, they, they didn't adhere to any of the rules. They, they, paid, guy, they paid guys by the fight uh, to come in, uh, especially during home games. They actually weren't so bad on the road. When you played them on the road – they didn't bring the traveling circus with them, right? You know, they brought their good players, um, and 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 tried to to beat you. But at home, uh, they were, they were going to dress four or five circus clowns, whose job it was was to come out, grab the closest guy to them off the face off, and beat them up because you know, hey, let, let's it face sells. it, the the yeah the the fa- fans like the fighting, um, and and they especially like it when their guys are winning. And they would go out and they would get legitimate guys who had reputations uh, at, at high leagues for for doing stuff. They were one of the first teams, too, the year of the lockout to bring in an NHL guy. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. So during the documentary, they kind of paint it like, oh, the, it's a 19-year-old kid. What's he going to do? And it's like, oh, well, he's successful. And I'm thinking, because at one point they show, well, I bro, I was thinking, well, why don't I bring in this guy who played for the Devils and I saw him score a goal in the Stanley Cup? I'm like, it doesn't take a genius in a in a basically a double A league to go. Well, why don't I get a major league player? Yeah, that, and and that he wasn't be- he wasn't the original. He did that after Motor City had brought in four NHL guys, right? And but <laughs> Chris Chelios, Darian Hatcher, Sean Avery, and Brian Smolinski. All went play in Motor City, and then everybody throughout the league started grabbing NHL guys. Right. The Missouri River Otters grabbed like three guys from the St. Louis Blues. But like, it doesn't take a genius. Like, if I ran the Lansing Lugnuts for me to go, well, what if I went and got Carlos Correa? He would make <laughs> my team better. Like, yeah. But they paint him as that, and it's like, no, you just had more money and you cheated. But the interesting and, and you part- found a guy in New Jersey. Who was close enough to where they were in in Danbury, right? To say, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'll I'll play a few games. In your Which life. the other thing I want to bring up to you is, so the whole time it shows what they're doing, and and some of the players admit they come back after they win a fight, and there's an envelope in their in their locker and things like that, and then they never won a cup. Yeah, they got to the finals the one year, but you know they ne- they never did win it because. They were never really that strong of a team. Like they but, had good teams, but they were never but great. Teams. The the point I'm making is they did all that and that still wasn't enough to, you know, maneuver your way to a championship is how I'll put it. Yeah. So that just tells you just, what uh, was going on in minor league hockey. Well, one of the guys they brought in was a guy named Ruman Ender, who played in the NHL. Uh, he was a defenseman. Uh, and and he was just a big hulking guy, that, and I remember he came in to, uh, a few times. Uh, I I I don't remember. I mean, they I, I think they specifically brought him in to fight, and I don't actually remember him fighting anybody. Like he he was just like yeah whatever, and he and he went out there and he didn't he didn't need to well, either. I mean, can you just, tell? A, I mean, one of the guys is I know you know this guy, but David Beauregard played for them. Yeah. And the thing with him is he would have been an NHL player. Yes. But he had he lost an eye. David in junior hockey scoring a goal 
where he finishes the play and scores the goal even though he loses his eye somewhere between the blue line and the faceoff circle because the stick got up under the visor in a junior game. He played in the Quebec Junior Hockey League. He was cutting to the net. Uh, he gets sticked in the eye, and basically his eye gets carved out of his head. And he finishes the play and scores the goal. That's David Beauregard. David Beauregard um, scored several goals one year for the Beacons with a broken leg. He, he had a fracture in his leg, so basically he was playing with a, a leg. His leg had a crack in it. And he ended up scoring... 48 goals that year, but like it happened late in the season. He he was at like 42 goals, and there was maybe a dozen games left. And goal, he decided to continue playing to try to get 50 goals because it had been a bad uh, year. But he figured if he could at least do that, it would give the Port Huron fans something to root for. He had scored 50 a few years earlier for the Border Cats, and he remembered, like, what a big deal it was because mm-hmm. he was, like, the first guy since the 1970s to score 50 goals in Port Huron. And and he tried to do that, and he got to, to 48. Uh, I, and I thought he was going to get there the last game. We were playing Danbury the last game of the hmm. season at McMorrin, and it was a goofy, like, 9-7 to seven game that, that he scored, like, three or four goals in. And we're thinking, is he – he might get to, to 50 just in this game. But anyways, the, the, so so this 19-year-old kid, when Bo played for us, because yeah. he had a glass eye, which is yeah. what kept him out of the NHL, and still with a glass eye, go look up what David Beauregard did every year in the minor leagues. Yeah, He, he was just stupid good. Um, and, yeah, he would have played in the NHL for sure had he not lost his eye. But the, the guy used to, the kid used to stand around up in his little owner's box in Danbury and pretend like he had a, a cane and that he was a blind guy and, and he'd like laugh and make jokes at Beauregard. But who did he want the year they were making the mm-hmm. run? He wanted Beauregard and they, they ended up trading for him and he played part of a year there to try to help them in their well, cup run. And then there was the other guy, one of the other big players they focus on is Brad Wingfield. Mm hmm. And he is like big snake. Look up Wingfield's number. He had like one year in Elmira. He had 29 goals and 500 and something penalty minutes. And I believe he was the one involved with the thing with Kalamazoo. Uh, That caused the big brawl that they talk about. Yeah. It's it's one of the few times where I'm actually glad Kalamazoo won the cup that year, (laughs) even though I hated them too, because that's a whole nother story. Well, Anyway, we have to save some for next year's edition. <laughs> but no, there was a lot and it's it's funny because they paint they kind of try to paint them as not the bad guys and then but you hear I heard a lot of the stories before from the perspective of you who lived it and were like, "No, like like they never mentioned that the guy made fun of Beauregard before." Yeah, no, yeah, the okay, the the guy and his son, criminals, period. Well, I, I don't know if the son actually ever did anything wrong, but the, the, the dad Whatever. was. We, we can pretend that he didn't then. But, the, I mean, and the, that whole thing, uh, you know, they, they cheated on the rules. You can say everybody did. Not everybody did. Just the ones that won. You want to know who cheated in, in the minor leagues? Look at the teams who won. Those are the teams who cheated. Um. And that's that's just the the way the way it is. But uh, I don't fault like the players 
at that, especially at that level, you don't make a whole lot of money. Like no, there, there's someone... there's this mythos that these guys get paid a ton. Like, like, I don't know how these guys on the prowlers do it. I don't. They don't make diddly dinky do. Uh, and guys in in this league, the yeah, the top notch guys made okay money, but nobody was getting rich playing in the UHL or the IHL. It, it wasn't happening. So if somebody was going to float you money under the table, if somebody was going to pay you by goals or pay you by fights, I don't blame guys for jumping no. at that. I, I'll I'll never blame a player for taking what's offered him. That's why I don't complain about big contracts. Some GM and some owner agreed that we can pay this guy this much money. That's their fault. That's not the player's fault. Well, and if someone came up to you tomorrow and said, Dennis, I want you to be the broadcaster of my team, I'll give you $10 million, you're not going to go, no, I'm not worth that much. No, absolutely not. I'm going to go, you sure you sure you ain't got 20? <laughs> I mean, I'll take the 10, but if you got 20, <laughs> I mean, come on. We're all going to do that. Right. Um, and, and there's, again, I'm not going to fault the, the players or call the, the, the players cheaters. I mean, I'd, sometimes I might jokingly call the player a cheater, but I'm not going to. It's the, the owners and the, the GM slash coaches, they're the ones that, that were – in the foul play, and those guys were as foul play as anybody. And, yeah, any, anybody calling that kid a, a genius. They never does, said it. But doesn't know what – A, doesn't know what they're talking about, and, and B, uh, I think maybe just trying to sell a few more DVDs or whatever. Well, it's also hard to, hey, hey will you do a story on us, and then but we're going to paint you in a bad light. Dang. So, anyway, I think that's about it, Dennis. Anything else? Oh, no, I, I went way longer than I thought I was going to. That's good. Good for the soul. <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, yeah, see everyone Monday, and if you see me this weekend, I apologize. Yeah, Brady's going on vacation, and it's going to be a doozy whopper. So hopefully I'm back. Maybe, maybe we'll get a Brady vacation story show on Monday. Uh, no, MHSAA will not like those stories. <laughs> I have stories like that, and I'm never going to tell oh, them, so don't yeah. ask. Yeah, your best ones are never going on the air. <laughs> no, never. From Port Huron to Marysville and St. Clair to Marine City, the Blue Water Area is Stuck on Sports.